Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, it certainly is. It's time for another episode of the Two Sharp Reds where myself, Ollie Geel, and Australia's third favourite son, Mark Schwarzer, like to sit down and taste a bottle of red wine and compare that bottle of red to a player past or present, Mark. It's that time of the week that we all absolutely love before uh, we get on to your intro of our very special guest today. I'd like to welcome you to this episode and let's get stuck into the wine very quickly. Uh, I've gone for a Chianti Reserva, an Italian wine today. Uh, let me guess, have you gone for something Spanish? No, I haven't. See, I want to throw, throw a bit of Spanish in the works. I haven't. I've gone for an Aussie wine. See, I'm a bit disappointed yeah. with you. I thought for sure you're going for an Aussie wine. So mine's the Southeastern Australia. Um, right up your alley, yep. McPherson Family Vineyards, the Angus, 2017, uh, Cabernet Merlot um, combo. Brilliant. Talk about Strasser, right up at Mark. I hope you enjoy it. Now, let's not waste any time. We know how nervous you get with your intros. You've made a yep. few mistakes, but you've done some good research this week with our special guest. So good luck. Don't be nervous and uh, take it away. Are you meaning that I, you sort of trying to say that I need the luck? It's a, yeah, it's a suggestion. Yeah. I know you're lying when you get that high-pitched voice. Yeah. Anyway, so listen, great to, to have this guest on. Um, I, haven't, uh, I haven't seen this person for quite some time. We've spoken every now and then on a couple of WhatsApp messages. Um, but, you know, he was a pretty big part of my early careers here in England. Um, he was the assistant manager at Middlesbrough back in the day. I think it was 1994 when you first went to Middlesbrough, if I'm correct. Yeah, I think I am. And, um, and he was assistant manager under Brian Robson. And with a lot, a lot of great times, uh, fond memories. And of course, he was a fantastic player right back and was the first black player to play for England. And it's none other than Viv Anderson. Um, welcome, Viv. Thank you. I'm, I'm only 27, if anybody's asking. <laughs> You're looking great for your age, I have to yeah, say. Thank you. Uh, just, thank you. That's all I want is compliments. We were talking off air beforehand, and I was just talking about your career going through it. And I was saying to you that doing my research, I didn't realise that you won two European Cups. Obviously, I knew Nottingham Forest won two European Cups. But during our time at Middlesbrough, we had also Peter Shilton as goalkeeping coach. And he used to talk about it all the time. See, and you, you, even though you talk a lot and you like to brag about certain things, you actually didn't really, I don't ever remember you mentioning it. Whereas Schiltz, pretty much every session you talked about winning a European Cup. And you loved his training as well, Mark, I remember. Well, <laughs> like, three hours of it each time. Yeah, um, it did go on a bit. They used to knock on my door saying, he went on a bit long again, Peter. So we finally replaced him with somebody you liked. Yeah, no, you did. You did, absolutely. Um, so we did listen to you. Yeah, you did. Eventually you did. Eventually. Yes. It took you us did. three years, but we did eventually listen to you. <laughs> 
So Viv, you had an illustrious playing career. Um, I mean, you, you talk about, you, obviously, most of your games you played at Nottingham Forest. And like I mentioned, you won the European Cup twice in a row. I mean, that was an incredible time for you. It must have been. I mean, also under the, the very well-known and, 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 and greatly fondly remembered and I don't know anyone who says a bad word about Brian Clough in terms of his management ability, even though it was slightly alternative. Um, but, you know... He was he was he was pretty incredible and pretty instrumental in your career, wasn't he? Yes, very much so. Um, I started at Nottingham Forest years ago, and um, <laughs> he came into the dressing room. One of my, my debut, well, not, I'd made a couple of appearances before, and and uh, we played Tottenham at home in a, in a FA Cup tie. I came off with cramp with ten minutes to go, and then walks Mr. Brian Clough saying that uh, I am the new Nottingham Forest manager. And it was an FA Cup tie, as I said earlier, and the replay was on the Wednesday. And he puts a list of names up on the board to say that's going to trouble for the replay. And my name wasn't on it. So I'm thinking, I played on the Saturday, but wasn't going to go over the replay on the Wednesday. Thinking, well, the fight is on the wall for me. I'm out this door. So it wasn't um, a very good meeting, should I say, with myself and Mr. Club. But it turned out we took... After a short period of time, I got back in the team and the uh, rest is history, as they say. Yeah, because you became a regular under him, didn't you? And then that's where yeah. your, your career really then kick-started. Uh, you became an in- England international whilst at Nottingham Forest. And like I mentioned, you then went on to become the first black player to play for England. Full um, international. So Laurie Cunningham, God rest his soul, was the first black under-21 international. That's right. And there was always talk about him and me, who's going to be the first and blah, 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 blah. And, Luckily enough, it turned out to be me. And funny enough, you guys roomed together, is that right? At that yeah, time we roomed well? together in Sofia, um, Bulgaria. And uh, you think we were talking about who's going to make debut and who's going to... We were talking about cars, what he was going to buy. He'd just gone to Real Madrid and he's looking at nice cars. And I'm thinking, I've got this mini at home. I can't really compete here. But, uh, but we never never talked about it once at all. He's very laid back and uh, not a thing you talk about in the room anyway. What, what was it like? What was it like as a, as a black guy playing football in England during that period of time? Um, listen, I, I, talk, I talk about this all the time. The only black face you ever saw on the telly when I was playing was a lad called Clyde Best who played for West Ham um, from time to time. And obviously, I was the first black player to go into Nottingham Forest at the time. Um, obviously, you get a bit of stick from the players. I mean, luckily enough, I had two lads who, who were an apprentice together and I went to school together, and they came to Forest before me. I came a bit later. And they saying, if, you, if they ask you to do a job, do this, that, the other. So I had friends there already. So it was not as if I was just the one on my own and I had to get on with it. it I had a lot of friends, well, as I said, two friends, uh, very quickly, as soon as I came into a football club. So um, it helps if you had friendships before you got there. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I live down the road uh, from Millwall in, in Peckham, and as we've seen on the weekend, there was, a, there was a moment before kick-off there between Millwall and Derby, which kind of doubles down on what everyone's trying to, to do at the moment with, with taking a knee for Black Lives Matter. Um, it's, it's kind of sparked back up again in a way, do you feel, like with all these conversations that no doubt you've had, given the fact that you've got that magnificent accolade of being the first black player to represent England. How did you feel over the weekend? Yeah, Quite sad, really. I mean, I, I went to the old Millwall. So if you, if you, <laughs> I had to go for a throw-in at the far side and the abuse you got there was 
unbelievable. So if you ran the roost of the, the old Millwall, um, it was quite something. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite taken aback because we've waited all this time for supporters to get back in the stadiums. And then the first opportunity you get, they abuse what we've been trying to do for many, many, many years. It's quite sad. And uh, I think Millwall Football Club should, these people, they'll have the list of the names. So it's not difficult. They're in a certain section. It's not difficult to get them boys or them people out of their, their football club and tell them not to come back again because it's very sad. Yeah, there's absolutely no excuses now, is there? I mean, yeah. you know, you can't say you can't see them, can't find them. Limited numbers of people at a game. I want to go back to Forest, 77-78. Your first... Thanks, uh, Thanks Mark. <laughs> first, you know, first European Cup uh, winning medal. You played Malmo. Yes. Yes. Um, what was that like? You know, you, you were young, early in your career. You had a couple of years under your experience with Brian Clough. What was that like? What was the experience like of going to European football and winning a major sort of way? Your, your little word there was Mr. Clough. Right, I'll tell you a story. A week before the European Cup final, right? I was 20-odd, whatever it was. He takes us to, to Kalamalaw in Mallorca, right? A week before the European Cup final. He has a place in Mallorca, but we didn't know, but he did. And we go there and we train every day. But what do you do when you come back to the hotel? What do you do? We went to the bar. So every day, we got absolutely lamped every night. We trained every day. And we'd, walk down, we'd go down for dinner at the night time in New York, and somebody would say, he can't possibly be playing in the European Cup in a week's time. It was impossible. But it was his way of relaxing us, because the, the build-up for a European Cup final, as you know, it's going to be all all uh, interviews and doing this and doing that. He took us away from it all. We were a young team and he just wanted us to relax. And we certainly did relax, I must admit. But you wouldn't imagine uh, Arsene Wenger taking the Arsenal team away for a week before the European Cup and, and letting them do what they want at night times. It wasn't no curfews, no nothing, but we trained every day. I'm not sure. And then obviously you did it the next year again, so you backed it up. I mean, that must have been even more difficult. Was it, was it also the pressure of... You'd won it the year before. Did you see yourselves as genuine favourites to retain it? We never, th we never think ourselves as favourites to win anything, really. We were just, we were just carried away like a snowball. It just gathered, it gathered momentum. We were happy to be in the first one. We were the holders um, going back. Another thing, you you'll know, that's the second one. So the first one I've told you about. The second one, we go to Madrid. And you being goalkeeper, you'll appreciate this. So uh, we get to Madrid. And we're up in the hills somewhere, and he's got no footballs. So he says, there's dartboard, um, you can play chess, you can play whatever games you want to play, but there's no footballs. So Peter Shilton, being a goalkeeper, says, boss, I've had no, I've had no angling for, since the Saturday. The European Cup final was on the Wednesday, something like that. I haven't done any angling since. He said, nah, you're not going to do any. He said, but boss, I've got to. So he pleaded with him. Day before, day before, day before, you go, all right, I'll let you do it. So they go and get some balls from somewhere. The coach got some balls from don't know where, probably some kid's school, and they couldn't find any grass for where we were. There wasn't any football field or anything. In fact, the only bit of grass they found was an island, right? An island. Cars going down this island. So my mate who went to the game said he saw Peter Shorten warming up on this piece of grass, and he's going around the car going, I'm sure that's Peter Schultz on that bit of grass. <laughs> the only bit of handling he did prior to the European Cup final that we won. 
Incredible. Uh, did, actually, Peter Shilton did mention that story. He did tell me the story about... Oh, did he? Oh, did a few times. So I haven't made it up, man. <laughs> leading up to the European Cup final, which is just... I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you can explain it. It doesn't matter. It's you not for a goalkeeper, isn't it? No, it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, it's a different game, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the game was different then. It's evolved since then dramatically. You just you couldn't get away with it. You wouldn't get away with it. You wouldn't do that in these days. Anyway, um, so you've had your success there. You won a couple of League Cup finals uh, as well, um, yeah. leading up to that, and also overlapping, winning the European Cup. Uh, so it was a very successful period. How difficult was it for you then to move on? To I mean, you move on to Arsenal. And of course, Oli comes into his own when, he's, when you talk about Arsenal. Um, even though he's really got no right to it at this current moment in time. <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was quite easy for me, really. I just got married. Um, everybody had left that European Cup side that you mentioned. Uh, I think John Robertson was one of the last ones to leave, and I was the last one there of that team. So I had an opportunity to go and try something different, go to London, try Arsenal. Uh, I knew Don Howe because he was the coach at Man United, uh, England, sorry. And uh, I took the opportunity to move and go to London and try if I could play at one of the big clubs, you know. So it was an opportunity to take. You could never really turn down. So this is a great opportunity for me to... I mean, I not only, unfortunately, don't have Mark's nerdy glasses to get on, but this is a good opportunity for me to nerd out a little bit. Before I ask you about Arsenal at the moment, what's that feeling like when you walk out onto the pitch at Arsenal for the very first time? What's, what's the emotions? Yeah, it was uh, obviously it's great. It's got great tradition, and uh, mm. that's one of the reasons I want. Another a lot of the reasons it was Tony Woodcock there, Paul Mariner, Graham Ricks, uh, Kenny Sanson, people I'd played with at England, and I knew anyway. So I wasn't going to an atmosphere that I didn't know. I knew a, quite a few players before I went there. So yeah, go, playing at the old Ivy was a fantastic, fantastic uh, setting, and uh, I'll always I've got some very fun memories there. Well, I hear great, some, some great stories of opposition you know, players going there, just wanting to enjoy the day. Obviously, you want to go and win, but to play at Highbury was, was something special for them. So to be able to do it week in and week out, that's something I'm sure you, you, you'll never forget, really. Yeah, yeah. The, the local derbies against Spurs, I always remember those games. And, you know, the local derbies were always a bit special. And obviously, when Man United come to town, it was always good as well. So, yeah, coming from, from within a provincial little club, not surprising, average crowd of 19,000. Going to Highbury, where it was sold out every weekend, it was a fantastic, fantastic time. So let's talk about the North London derby. Pretty disappointing uh, afternoon for, for myself. How did you feel? Do you, do you still feel like a gunner, by the way? Were you upset and frustrated? Yeah, yes, 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 yes. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and Mark will be able to help me on this one. As I'm watching the game and I see Song go, and they, and they go, he's hitting this. This is going in. No. And it's gone in. He's gone a lot. He's gone. A, he's travelled a long way for a start, but he's hit it from so far out. I'm thinking, and the goalkeeper, and it doesn't go in the top corner. It goes in the middle of the goals. I'm thinking, did the goalkeeper do better with that or not? What he does do though, as as Son hits the ball, he jumps. He jumps in the air, um, Bert Leno. And by the time his feet at the ground again, he's too late then to react. And he's, he's, he basically just has to spring off and try and reach it. So he gave himself zero chance of making the save. I, listen, I think the shot was, was more in the corner. It wasn't in the middle of the goal, like you're saying. But I thought it was a phenomenal strike. No, I didn't mean in the corner. I meant it wasn't high up. In no. the, it was halfway up where the, yeah. the post is. I'm thinking, how's that gone in? 
I think it's more to do with the fact that it was started almost on the outside of the line of the post. It swirled, it curled and dipped towards the end. And the fact, like I said, he was, his legs were, he was, he was airborne as he struck the ball. And by the time his feet reached the ground again and he sprung off, um, he was able to spring off, then it was too late. The ball's already passed him in the back of the net. So mm. I thought it was a fantastic goal. But Arsenal are very frustrating to watch at the moment. You must be, must be just thinking the same. Yeah, I, I, um, I thought Arteta started well. And I thought he was a good appointment, in fairness. And I think you have to give him a little bit more time. Um, it, it, jumping on the bandwagon early on when they've had a few. I'm, what, the 15th or something like that now? They're quite capable, you know, of going on a run because they've got enough... Uh, firepower. I mean, Abami hasn't scored recently, but he'll he'll come back and score goals. Don't worry about that. Like is that a score? You've got the other lad Ketty out front who can score goals. So I think just a matter of getting through this period and getting a win. However you get it, when it goes off somebody's backside, it goes in. Whatever it may be, to get a win and get a momentum going. That's what you need. So I want you to, to, to look at me, sorry, just as a fan, as an Arsenal fan, and tell me, yeah. should I be trusting the process? Because this is the thing that I'm struggling with every episode. I try and do my best to fly the flag because, you know what, just after what you said there, I'm thinking about the squad and, and, and the fact that the players that Arteta has been able to bring in since he has arrived, mm-hmm. on paper, he's been able to fill those holes that every Arsenal fan and pundit has been complaining about. You know, the defence is stronger. There seems to, you know, you know Thomas Party obviously... Uh, he's a great acquisition. So the, the, the process, can it be trusted at this stage? Because personnel him, should be good enough. You don't give him the, the, uh, the money and the way for all not to trust his process. I mean, how long has he been in the job now? I mean, it's over a calendar year. Uh, it's oh, not it's a, over a calendar year. Yeah. Oh, I know where he's come from and I know where uh, he's worked under. I, I go to quite, City quite a lot because I've got a son at the academy there. So I see see them from time to time. And I like the process of what they do. But it's time, you know. They get everything together. He started off really well. And now he's had a bit of a blip. And this is where you find out you, what, what the players are, what they can do and what they're capable of. You know, when, it's all right when things are going great. It's when things aren't going great and how you turn it around. And I think he's got the credentials. He's worked under somebody who's, who's a really good manager. And I, so, okay, I want to go back to, back to your playing career again. Back to football again. Oh, my. Sure? <laughs> yeah, yeah, talk about yourself again. You know, um, League Cup, you won it in an 87 with Arsenal. So that was your third League Cup winner's medal. Yeah. Um, and then this is a trait throughout your whole career. And also then in the management. So the League right. Cup has a really, really sort of uh, prominent status in, in your career. So you end up leaving Arsenal and you become, and again, another stat, another stat that I didn't realise Sir Alex Ferguson's first signing at Old Trafford in 1987. Yeah. Uh, you know the story about it? No, come so, on, tell us. I am... Uh, Brian Robson is my roommate with England. So my contract's up at Arsenal and I get a phone call. Remember, I went to Man United when I was a schoolboy from 15 to 16, said you're not going to be good enough, get back to Nottingham, you're useless. So <laughs> I get a job and then go to Forest. So... I get a call from Brian Robson saying, we've got a new manager called Alec Ferguson. I went, never heard of him. So he's just come down from Aberdeen and uh, he wants to sign you. I went, well, my contract's up. Always want love Man United. So I go and meet. I meet in a hotel in Nottingham. Give me a room number to meet. Go in this room. Sits there for 10 minutes. Door opens. The chairman opens the door, comes in the door. Martin Edwardson says, have you seen the manager? I say, no, I've been here 10 minutes, I've seen him. So we came together in the same car, he said, I'll see you in the room. So he goes back out to find the manager. 
Manager comes in with him five minutes later, says, have you seen the chairman? I said, is this some sort of joke? <laughs> He's been in two minutes ago and said he couldn't find you. This happened three times. No. Somebody, By the way, uh, what club am I joining here? I couldn't, I couldn't find the room together. So we finally sit down and we talk it through. And uh, listen, when you're my age now and think at the time, you had a chance to join Manchester United, never took it. You'd regret it the rest of your life. So I went there, my contract was up. So I went there and uh, didn't have the best of times, didn't have the best of starts, got injured really early on and uh, didn't really do as well as I would like to have done. But that's these things up. And, and I mean, the cup final, replay of the cup final, you get replaced by none other than Paul Ince. He yeah. plays it right back. Yeah. I mean, I, I, got, I was injured. I got injured in the quarter final against, uh, I can't remember where it was. It was nice, I think. But anyway, I got injured in the semi-final, uh, quarter-final. Uh, tried to get back fit, but didn't. And Paul Ince played, uh, played at fullback, yeah. Was, uh, but nobody else. And, and that was pretty much, toward, that was right at the end of your career. Because the start of 1991 season, um, Alex Ferguson went out and bought uh, a young man called Dennis Irwin, who turned yeah. out to be a pretty decent signing for... for <laughs> Just uh, a little bit, yeah. From Oldham for 600000 or something. Yeah, six hundred and fifty thousand pounds. So, um, and then so your days were limited, were numbered there. You end up going to Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and Von Atkinson was the manager. Sorry. Von Atkinson was the manager. That's right. And you end up uh, being part of the squad. I mean, I know you played for United in your cup tie, but Sheffield Wednesday went on to win the League Cup final. Yeah. Beat United in the final. So there yeah. you go. There's that connection again with the League Cup. Um, yeah. And and you were there for for a couple of one year actually, and you end up signing uh, as for Barnsley, player manager? I was, uh, I think I was there for two years. We got went to, uh, uh, was it two cup finals? I was captain of Sheffield Wednesday. But we went and to the FA Cup final. Yeah, 91-93. FA, FA Cup final and the Milk Cup final in the same year. That's right. Um, yeah, I got injured in, in the earlier game in the FA Cup final. to come off and missed the replay. Um, and the Milk Cup, yeah, I remember, I remember it well. Thanks. We went to two cup finals, never won. Thank you very much. <laughs> and to, unfortunately, to the as well. Thank you very much. Yeah, but unfortunately, from this point onwards, finals are not great, really. Let's be honest, as you know. Oh yeah, yeah, very much so. I know. Was I it know, a three in one calendar year in Middlesbrough? Yeah, uh, incredible, incredible, really was. <laughs> so you've had that taste of management. So you obviously thought that and knew that's what you wanted to get into uh, management in some capacity. Obviously, no, the Barnsley. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Really. I get a call from the chairman of Barnsley Football Club when I was at Sheffield Wednesday. I had another year contract at Sheffield Wednesday. He said, we'd like you to be our player manager. And I went, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> so I went home, think about it. Um, thought it was a good idea. I might give it a go. And I had no intentions of being a manager. And uh, I said, only if I could take Danny Wilson, the lad I played with at Sheffield Wednesday, he came with me. And... So we, I enjoyed it. Enjoyed it for the first year, uh, and I wouldn't have. I would have still been the Barnsley manager at the time if it wasn't for Brian Robson and the conversation we had uh, when we were at Man United. If uh, things being equal, we'd join together. So, what was that first conversation like when you found out Brian Robson was taking over at Middlesbrough and he wanted you as assistant? I mean, there must have been incredible plans put in front of you. Um, he's he's had a uh, conversation with Steve Gibson. And Keith Lamb, and he said, listen, uh, I know you're a manager at Barnsley. Well, I asked him, I said, before I took the Barnsley job, what do you think? He said, it'd be good experience for you. 
good experience for you, good experience for me. If we're going to manage them together, if you want to decide at the end of that year or whatever it is, uh, you want to take it on, it'd be a good experience, So, which I did. And then uh, I met, went up to meet Steve Gibson and uh, Keith Lamb, and they convinced me of, yeah, it'd be a good thing for us all to do, because we were trying to grow the club. Obviously, we were in the old Essen Park then, and they had plans for the new training ground and the new stadium. So they had big, big plans, and uh, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to, uh, to progress. And um, we, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a good time for everybody concerned. Except for the cup finals and stuff like that, but the yeah. building process and getting players in, uh, we had to get decent goalkeepers, but we couldn't really ever get one. <laughs> but uh, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a good thing to do. What about? Um, I, I think the most thing that you enjoyed was the playing on the on training days. You still fancy yourself? You actually fancy yourself as a striker? And you still yeah, yeah. I always fancy myself as a striker. Scoring <laughs> goals. Uh, yeah, like, always you, played you up front. Yeah, bored of playing. I get bored of playing at fullback or defence. I like to play up front, get a bit of glory because I never used to get in my playing career. So uh, I enjoyed all that, and uh, I always like the five side. Look forward to the five sides with the sports and all the rest of them. Yeah. Do you think in twenty twenty? Sorry, that, that the idea of a player manager can work these days. Absolutely no chance. Um, it didn't work at my and when I was playing. I I, I obviously. You had to go to board meetings on a Thursday with 15 or 20 men smoking in a smoking room. And you've got to play on the Saturday. I'm thinking, I'm just going to get out of this room because they want to hear the manager's report. And I'm going, can I my report bit first? Oh, no, you've got to listen to other people's bits before you get your bit. And then, then you've got to prepare yourself for games. And you come at half time and you want to recover. And I've got my hands on my knees like this and expecting manager to go, well, you should be doing this and play this and do that. And I'm going, no, I can't talk. Let my assistant talk. Uh, so it was one of those. It was a, it's a weird, weird thing to take on. And eventually, I, had to, I, had to, I was one of the best players still then. But I had to come out of the team because I want to listen to the manager's voice at half-time and, and full-time. So do you I get the same power, do you think? Pardon? Do you get the same power and responsibility that a manager would? Or, or is it halved because you're still a player? I think it's still the same responsibility. It's when you're playing badly, they go, well, I'm going to listen to him for He's absolutely yeah. useless and blah, 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 blah. So, um, yes, I think it's difficult to take on now, I must admit. Uh, the two responsibilities are, depending, depending on your club, but uh, Barnsley was an upper middle, middle, upper, upper middle table team uh, in Yorkshire. A lot of Yorkshiremen <laughs> talking to her, you know, Abby, you know what they're like and... Uh, what they do like and what they don't like. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time there. And I've got some fond memories of people there, even still today. When you look back at your time at Middlesbrough, um, were there any moments, if you look back and had it all over again, would, be, would, be, would you do something differently? Um, no, not at all, really. We were given the tools to do the job. Um, the only thing we didn't get under Steve Gibson was... Uh, uh, Philly Palbert, who went to Newcastle, we we said we'd like him, and Steve said you've just come to me a, a little bit too early uh, to get the money to. It was about six hundred thousand pounds at the time, which wasn't a lot now in terms of transfers. But well, Middlesbrough that, at that moment in time was a bit a bit too much for him at the time. He was just starting off. It got us too involved, and we bought other people, and it was just too early. But uh, no, not at all. No, listen, you'd like to win cup finals, but 
it's these things happen, you know, that's sport. Yeah, two two League Cup finals and an FA Cup final, unfortunately, we just weren't able to take over the line. Um I blame you for the FA Cup final. I didn't even play, mate. I know you didn't. But <laughs> we played we played Ben. We had to play yeah, Ben. But- yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was nah, no, listen, it's not his fault. But uh, I, I didn't actually get to the bench before the goal went in. Yeah, I the think from the the entrance to Wembley, I was one of the last ones out, and I'm I'm going. This could go in. Ten seconds or something like that. This could go in. It's only got in. I hadn't even sat down. Yeah, I think it was 40, 44 seconds into the game. The, exactly. I mean, I was cup tied, so I remember I was signed from Bradford City that season. Um, yeah. But I'd already played for Bradford in the FA Cup, the League Cup I played in. I played in the first one at uh, Wembley where we drew with Leicester. They scored like literally the last kick of the game after extra time. Amy That's it. And I went to that silly replay thing um, yeah. where we went to, to Sheffield. And I, I got injured the very next game. So I missed yeah. the remainder of the season. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, it was incredible times. Um, best ever signing was... Um, Fabrizio Romanelli, Janino. I mean, Janino is probably, he's the fan favourite. He's like, but for you, who did you find as one of the best signings you ever made? Um, uh, Emma for about six, about four months. Emerson. Yeah. He was incredible for four months. And then obviously Bobby Robson and people got into his ear because he'd gone to Barcelona and then he went AWOL and everything else. Um, Nigel Pearson, remember, was, was fundamental to us getting promoted you know, and he came, was a free transfer from uh, Sheffield Wednesday in the end, because yeah. I'd played with Nigel and I knew what he was like. And he was, he was pivotal for the football club at the time. I think he was uh, a good signing, you know. So, yeah, listen, um, yeah, those two spring to mind. Obviously, Ravinelli and Janino and people like that. I remember watching you at Bradford. We thought you were fantastic at crosses. And then you got, you got that injury at West Ham. And you were never really the same after that, were you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it took me about five months to get back from it because it, it broke yeah. and then it didn't set again and, and everything else. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a disappointing and difficult time at the time. But um, it was a, an amazing journey at Middlesbrough um, that I, I think the club grew insanely over that period of time and became a, 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 like a, a regular Premier League side, so you, you must take a lot of a lot of fond memories and, and a lot of uh, good heart from that. that. The fact that you created a club that was well, you helped forge a team that came from the lower leagues, was kind of a yo-yo team, to then being a well-established Premier League side. Yeah, I get, we get a lot of credit for that. Honestly, Brian lives not far from my office where I am now, so he's in from time to time, and we reminisce sometimes, yeah, over a pint. But listen, uh, it, uh, we had. Seven good years there. I still say to this day, he's the best chairman I've ever worked with. He, he gave us the tools to work with and uh, never interfered, which is great. Which is all you can ask for as as management team. Are you still got, have you still got your little uh, betting club going on, you and Ryan? Are you still? No, yeah. no, not so much. No, no, no. It's illegal anyway, isn't it? No, uh, no. <laughs> but uh, I do it with other people now. Danny Wilson and, and a friend of mine. We do it every week. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. If, uh, I'm, I'm going to put my nerd glasses back on, if you don't mind. I've tried to bite my tongue for a little while, but I do have a, a question I want to ask you about your transition from Arsenal to Manchester United. You touched on the fact that now when you look back, it's, you, you would have regretted it highly if you didn't go. And I'm in a position just as a fan where 
I can't understand that because if I was playing for Arsenal, you know, there would be hardly anything that would be able to sway me. But as a professional, I can totally understand how that happens. But I always think about in recent times when there's been those select few players, not too many, but a few select players that go between those two clubs. Uh, The recent one being Alexis Sanchez, who recently came out and said, that as soon as he arrived at Old Trafford, he asked his agent if it was going to be possible to return back to Arsenal. Um, pretty unique circumstance. I'm sure it's probably changed a little while, uh, a fair bit, sorry, since your time to now. But was there any feeling of that at all? Was there any going to be a moment of you going, ooh, maybe, maybe I've made the wrong call Remember, here? I was at Manchester United as a schoolboy. So I've always been a Man United fan. And when I got refused when I was whatever age it was, I was bitterly disappointed. I had to go back to get a job in Nottingham. I was only for five or six weeks, but I still had to get a job. And then Forrest came knocking and said, would you play for our youth team, play for their youth team? And then they said, wouldn't sign me as apprentice. So many United have always been back in my mind. If I got a chance to go back, I would go back. I didn't break any contracts. I had, my contract was up. Uh, I was offered a contract at Arsenal. And Man United came calling, and I just had to take the opportunity to go and play at a bigger club. Always think about Matt Letizia and people like that who stayed at clubs when, I know Manchester uh, Arsenal's a bigger club. You've got an opportunity to go and play. I, I'd never had the opportunity to go and play at a big, big club, and uh, Man United was one of those. And Arsenal was one of those. I've got great, fond, fond memories of those. There's some great players there, but we, could, we never could never... Put it all together to win the league. We're probably good at cups, and you know, but never good. Uh, could never combine it. If you looked at our Arsenal players together or individually, they go. They'd fit in most teams, uh, but collectively to win the league is a different thing. We could never really achieve. You touched on there as well. I know it was only pretty short time that you were working. Was it as a silkscreen printer? Am I right in saying? Yes, yes, yes. That's it. Do you good, think? Good research. Don't you worry about that. I, Mark, Mark will take a leaf out of my book one day. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> but do you think? Obviously, there's not going to be too many, uh, you know, boys or girls going to be doing that and then become a, a professional footballer. You know, you're pretty well entrenched into the youth academy system, uh, and you kind of transition straight into it or you leave football altogether and then go into the workforce. Do you think that yeah. that in 2020, when you look at some of particularly the England team at the moment, um, and we've been critical from time to time about reflecting the culture of the England team, do you think a few of these players would learn a lot if they weren't going to go out to the, the workforce and become and a screen printer a for a year? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I do. Get a real job. Um, I'm a bit... Um, I've got... Uh, He's 14 now, uh, my uh, Freddy. So he's been at Man City since he was six. I mean, that's checking him five days a week, training, playing on the weekends and all the rest of it. It is a different world completely to what I did. I played um, with my mates, amateur football on a Sunday and all the rest of it. And then managed to get an apprenticeship, you know, at 16. I made my debut when I was 17. The, the, the process is completely different. They, they, my, my 14 year old's got nutrition, they've got all the things, got, so, got everything uh, they could possibly think of. Get boots regular, get as much kit as they want. It's just a completely different world. And uh, would, that, would, they, would he benefit from what I, what I went through? I don't think very much. <laughs> what's, your, what's your thoughts on Manchester United today? Uh, where do you see them, um, and uh, are there are there positives to be had out of their side at the moment? They are on second half of games because I watched the game at the weekend. Do you think first half? What 
I mean, everybody, even Gary, even uh, Gary was saying, God, what are they like first half? They couldn't pass two balls together. And then second half, they were, they were sensational, you know? So my honest appraisal is that they're very inconsistent. There's no consistency in them at all. For them to win the league? No, no not this year. Need more consistency in their play. Um, and, and, and I think Oli has to sort out his, his starting level. I know it's difficult with the European games and milk cup games and all the rest of it, but he has to get, he's, he's trying to fit everybody in and it's not always possible as a manager. Um, you've, got to make, you've got to make some really strong decisions and, and say, this is my team. And, and until they prove otherwise, this is going to be my team. So would you build your team around Bruno Fernandes? Yeah, you have to. And then who's, who's your other midfield players? Pardon? Who's your other midfield players? Who would you play in midfield for Man United? I would, I would play... Um, uh, I would definitely play... Scott uh, uh, McTominay um, as my old in midfield player. And it depends. If I'm playing at home, I'd play more uh, offensive players. You know, you don't need two old in midfield players when you're playing at home against... Fulham or whatever it may be you have to go and try and win football matches and I think my, my team would dictate to the opposition and where we're playing I know there's not much between home and away these days because there's no crowds but I still if the emphasis on you to win at home match I think you should play more offensive players so I'd, you'd play Bruno you'd play Van, Van der Beek um, I think Pogba's at his time at Manchester United I think it's time for him to move on and uh, and see if he can do better elsewhere. Because he's another one that's got the ability, he's won all these things and he's a fantastic player to watch on his day, but he doesn't do it regularly enough. And Manchester United, that's the reason why Manchester United struggle because they're so inconsistent. You have to be consistent to win, to win leagues. Look at Liverpool, consistently, week in, week out. Look at their back four, although they've been plagued with injuries now, but they play week in, week out. Whether it's rain, it's, whether it's sunshine, whether it's snowing, they play week in, week out, and they play to a level that wins you things. Um, so you win things. Defensively, I mean, there's obviously a lot of questions about Manchester United defensively. Uh, Lindelof, Maguire, are they good enough for Manchester United? Um, I, I would say I quite like Maguire, in fairness. Um, but... He's another one who's sometimes good. See, the two full-backs, the, the two full-backs are fine now. I mean, you can talk about Wan-Bissaka not as good going forward, but I think it, when it comes to defensively, he's, he's very sound. I think he should stay on his feet a lot more. I think he can be a bit rash, especially in the bigger games. You know, I think he's likely to use his long foot and gets himself caught out and give penalties away. But, you know, at this moment of time, I think he's a really good defender. The, the, the lad, Tevez, the, the little left back they bought now, what's his Tellez, name? Tellez, yeah. Tellez. Uh, he looks quite good. Um, but I think if I can improve the two centre-halves, I would do. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant, Viv. It's been absolutely a pleasure, mate, to chat to you, catch up. Um, and also, uh, forgot to mention almost, you now lead Play On Pro organisation that helps former professional athletes find new careers. So yeah. is that something that obviously you, you felt very passionate about? I, mean, I just think when you uh, when the phone doesn't when the phone stops 
what do you do? You know, you, you're expected to get jobs or you're sure to get work. And where do you go? Well, Play on Play is a place where you can go. You, we've had, we have an app for them. We try and get them work. We try to, uh, you know, the old camaraderie bit they used to have as a player. You know, I, I had somebody in the office the other week and said, uh, how many players have you got on your phone? And he said, four. So they lose track. You go to a football club, you lose track with people used to. With the Play on Play app, you can get... You, you get back to where I remember a lad called Steve Hodge and a lad called uh, Gallon. They played together over 20 years ago at QPR, lost track, saw the they both came on the app at the same time, and it's like all our yesterdays go back again. So, what we're trying to do is try to uh, keep them involved in some way by getting them work, by get, uh, getting them in touch with one other, you know, things like that, which is really important, I think, especially for the mental health and all sorts of different reasons. So um, it's important that we, we try and keep them in, in touch with sport and people. And also the odd kickabout. The odd kickabout. We've been to Hong Kong for the last three or four years, you know, we've from time to time. So it's uh, good to, but it's like going away with a football team, you know. Uh, we play a bit of golf, play a bit of football as well. And, uh, and we, we film it and put it out on social media. So things like that is, is good for everybody, hopefully. Brilliant. I wish you all the very best uh, with the Play On Pro and um, I think it's a really good thing. And listen, it's been fantastic to chat with you and catch up and reminisce about the old days and also get your take on current state of play, particularly at Arsenal and Manchester United. Good to speak to you, Mark. I wish you well. Won't be long. Back to Ollie and Mark in just 15 seconds. If you enjoy Two Sharp Reds, though, make sure you search Geg and Pod wherever you get your podcasts. David Weiner is joined by thousands of games of experience both on and off the field. It's a great listen. G-E-G-E-N-P-O-D. The Geg and Pod. Okay, back to Two Sharp Reds. Halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds. Mark, that was a great chat with Viv. Thoroughly enjoyed that. No, he's very good, mate. He's uh, one that obviously um, has a lot to talk about, has experienced a lot in the game in this country. Pioneer, first black guy to play for uh, England, which is pretty pretty amazing. Um, and obviously I worked with him for, for seven years or under him for spot. I think it was actually not seven years, probably about five years at uh, Middlesbrough, uh, very much involved in me coming to the club. And uh, there were some incredible times during that period of time as well. First signing for Alex Ferguson, though, that is, I reckon that's pretty cool. That's, that's pretty amazing, you know. There's a, there's a couple of firsts there, isn't there? You know, yeah. Like first black player to play for England. Oh, sorry, it's Ferguson's first signing, his affiliation, his love of the League Cup, winning two European Cups with Nottingham Forest under the great uh, Gr- uh, Brian Clough, sorry, um, is, is pretty amazing, isn't it? Um, what, a, what, a, what a story to tell, what, a, what an experience he's had, and obviously doing some great stuff with Play On Pro, uh, the, the, the organisation that helps players, ex-players, ex-athletes, um, staying stay in connection with one another, to give them an opportunity, a pathway post their careers. Hey, let's get back to the football uh, briefly. I do just want to ask about one game and one game only, Mark, because I'm loving... Uh, uh, firstly, I'll ask you, are you being overswamped by football at the moment? Because I feel like I am. So. I want, it was a bonanza of football on the weekend. The way they've staggered the games, obviously, because there's no fans, you get a chance to watch every single game on yeah. one platform or another, yeah, which is pretty insane and, and really enjoyed it. Um, yesterday was a day... For, for Phil, basically, we're just watching football one game after another. Uh, brilliant. And obviously, because it's getting dark here really early, and after the, the North London derby, I then went on to say, oh, geez, there's another game coming on. I didn't even realise. It was just like, it felt like it was 8 o'clock at night already. Yeah. 
but in fact it was just after four. Yeah. Um, well, it was yeah, just after what four thirty, five o'clock, whatever it was. I thought, wow, this is unbelievable. There's another game coming up. Yeah. Well, I mean, I went to bed obviously. I just didn't you know, yeah, cry myself to sleep, but you know. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think of you when they when they lost actually. <laughs> did, did you? <laughs> uh, well, let's turn our attention because this week um, there's no Premier League football, but we're going to talk about European football, Champions League, Europa League, plenty on. But uh, the game for me that I've got my eye on is RB Leipzig uh, taking on Manchester United. I think it's probably the the game of the group. You you probably say, but but just in terms of um, you know these two sides, I think probably match up really well in terms of. It's just going to be exciting. Would that be a fair enough presumption? Well, it's, yeah. listen, it's intense. There, there are not many groups uh, in the Champions League that are still everything to play for. Obviously, you've got three teams on nine points going into the last round of games. Um, who would have thought Manchester United would be in this predicament? You know, they've only got themselves to blame. Um, and uh, RB Leipzig, brilliant to, to fight their way back into this group. At home, have that advantage. They're flying at the moment. I've got a really good result away at Bayern Munich on the weekend, 3-3. Um, big question mark for, for Leipzig is how do they replace Timo Werner? You can't. So you've got to find an alternative. You've got to find alternative ways of, of, of winning games, getting back into games. Um, and, and they are. They're a side that went from a, a really counter-attacking counter football side to a side that now is feeling more and more comfortable with possession of the ball and more often than not have either equal or if not more possession than the opposition. Um, so, yeah, they're exciting. And, and the other thing about it is uh, Emil Forsberg, uh, their creative player, has been there for a number of years, about five or six years now, has kind of flooded with the idea of being a truly a, a top-class player, but this sort of failed to deliver um, on, on, on a regular occasion. He scored a header on the weekend. Mind you, it was uncontested from six yards out, so even not a very good header of the ball should score. Um, but the one player that kind of excites me um, a little bit uh, from Alvin Leipzig is a guy called Justin Clivert. So the, nice. the surname may be familiar to you. I, I'm sure you must know who Clivert is. is am I right? Uh, well, what the, what the current director of Barcelona? Is he? He probably yeah. is. Is he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, played Barcelona, Milan. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. Played for Ajax. What yeah. a player he was. Played for for Holland and Netherlands. What a player he was. What a did striker. He for, did he play for Newcastle or did I get? I think he did. Um, oh, actually, I think he did. Yeah, Newcastle. Yeah, I think he did in the Premier League. Yeah. I think he did for a short period can't of time. Have, yeah, can't have been for long, but. Yeah, I don't think he had a very successful period of time there. Um, but listen, what a player he was. And uh, his son is a slightly different player. He's an attacking player, but he's, he's more of a, a kind of a, a flank, plays out in the flanks so on the left or right side. Um, he scored a very, very good goal against Bayern uh, to make it, I think it was at the time, uh, getting back in the game for 2-2. Mm-hmm. So yeah, signing times. Um, yeah, everyone's talking about Arby Leipzig and their defensive qualities. In terms of Upamecano, pursued by a number of big, big clubs, supposedly, around Europe. And he is a very, very good player. He's, I think he's 21, 22 years old. Uh, big, strong, quick, athletic. Um, very good with his feet. Um, very good player. But his partner, actually, I'm a bigger fan of, is a guy called Kunute. And he is, I think, a year younger um, 
similar, but I find him slow. I think he's better on the ball and he's got a better, I think he's a, a bit more of a football brain on him. And so they're two and a half pairings are very, very strong, very good. Um, they've got a good goalkeeper, Galacci, Hungarian international, who's played very well. He's actually improved as the years have gone on uh, in the Bundesliga. Um, and they've got that ability. Midfielders, are, I, I like their midfield as well. Sabitza, Marcel Sabitza, I think he's a really good, uh, good player um, and someone that uh, they look to a lot uh, for his creativity. And Kevin Kempel um, is another midfield player who's, again, very, very good. So they've got a lot, a lot of uh, threats going forward. Um, they like to play in advanced positions. They like to, to hit teams. They like to have a lot of possession these days. Manchester United are going to have to be on their game. They can't, they can't do a West Ham and give the opposition a, a lead. You know, they, they, they can't do what they've done recently in their away games, give the opposition a, a lead like they did at Southampton. Because if they do it at RB Leipzig, I can see them being punished. Mark, let's talk wine. Uh, it's time uh, in the episode where we'll compare uh, the wines that we're tasting to a player past or present. Uh, would you like to go first or shall I? I'll start. So I've gone for a McPherson Family Vineyards. It's called the Angus. It's a 2017 uh, Cabernet Merlot. Um, and it's a description is the Angus is a beautifully balanced wine and with vibrant black currant and plum fruit flavours combined with subtle mint and herb. Long and luxurious on the palate with fine tannins. It all comes together in this wonderful blend. Um, and then the interesting thing about this particular bottle of wine is that it's an adventurous spirit by nature. Andrew, Andrew's son, Angus, has returned to the family winery and thrown down the challenge to his old man with his new blend. So it's very much this father-son combination. Oh, I like it, yeah. <laughs> Coming back to the club, if you want to call it a club, um, having a new breed, a new, a new wine, a new bottle, a new, a new version. And this is very much, uh, I mentioned him just a, a short moment ago, and you unfortunately didn't know his dad was. <laughs> so you're talking about Patrick Kleiber being the father. He set the benchmark. And listen, the benchmark is very, very high. His son is yet to, to get there. However, he's very, very adventurous. Started off at Ajax, could have stayed very much at Ajax, but chose to... To, to leave and went to AS Roma. And he actually had a very good first two seasons at Roma. For some reason, I'm not quite exactly sure why, but he left and he's, he's on loan now at RB Leipzig. And it's a new challenge for me. And he's starting to show that ability, that talent. Um, and uh, he is that new version of a Cliver. Slightly different, like I said, he's more of a, a winger, attacking player that likes to have the ball at his feet and run at people as out. Uh, rather than being their out-and-out number nine like Patrick Cliver was. Um, and he's certainly going to challenge his old man. So it's none other than Justin Cliver for me. Yeah, I like it a lot. I like it. Uh, the only thing that I, if I can com- make one complaint, is that yeah. I was waiting for, do you not think that this wine was named after L? L? Yeah. E-L-L-E. Yeah. yeah. L. Sorry, I, didn't, I thought you said Elf. I wasn't quite sure oh. what Elf. Yeah, Elf McPherson, sure. Yeah, no, well, I didn't, no, I didn't know what you meant, Angus Elf, or what it was. I, I thought I missed something. Sorry. Sure. No, yeah, no, no. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Listen, it, it, when when I was younger, I would have got that straight away because who didn't have an Elf McPherson calendar? Sure. Really? Well, I didn't, but you know. Well, no, because you would have been a nappy still. Yeah. Yeah, that so, would have been inappropriate. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, would have been. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, everyone of my generation, you know, she was one of the, what, the proper first original supermodels. 
Yep. And, um, you know, there was a whole, there was a couple of them, you know, and she was certainly right up there on my list. Well, I know who uh, I'm going to try and get on the show for a special Mark Schwartz uh, birthday gift. Uh, I've gone for the County Reserver. Um, it's uh, Italians are justifiably pretty proud of, of this kind of wine, um, often perfectly accompanied by Italian food. So, you know, I'm going for a nice spaghetti bolognese or a nice lasagna with this one. Uh, an authentic example, this wine boasts a mature flavour with notes of fruitcake and sweet spice. Isn't it funny? We, we actually talked about spice, I think, in the last episode and how, this, how incredibly different spices can be. You can yep. get spicy or a sweet spice or, a, you know, I quite, uh, I think it's, it's you, if you, we had to... You can get sporty. Sporty, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, you can get anything stuff. you can do, I can do better. Posh ones. Things are posh ones, exactly. Uh, what's the other one? Scary. Angry. Baby. Angry, angry spice. I think you'll find it scary. Um, That's scary spice, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah. I like angry spice better. Don't worry. Um, so, th- there's, there's four things that stand out. Uh, it's something that Italians are proud of, or in this case, someone Italians are very proud of, accompanied perfectly by Italian food. And I'm going to remove food and put people. Um, so not only played in Italy, but for Italy in the Italian shirt, uh, mature, incredibly mature. Always thought the way he played was matured, but he, the way he looks now, he's that sort of perfect sort of, you know, what you're going for with the, you know, the silver fox look, the, you know, just perfect uh, and superb. Uh, this wine superb. They want it to be superb, but this player uh, doesn't get much better in my eyes, but I'm going for Andrea Pirlo. And uh, we, so predictable. We, so what, but is there anything wrong with that? Have I no, not no, then no, just no, nailed no, just it? Like, if it's predictable, it's going no, to be... Description. Yeah. You just, it was so predictable, meaning that your description of the wine and comparing with a footballer was very, very good because I was able to work it out very easily. Could have been Tossy, in, in fairness. I was thought about him, but Pirlo, for me, for I sure. I could have been Mancini as well, but then again, yeah. Mancini... Buffon? Yeah, Buffon, yeah. Yeah, it could have yeah. been. Yeah, there's a few out there. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, there is. Yeah. yeah. All right, Mark, you absolutely nailed your intro today. So it's now time for your outro. Good luck. Yeah, well, that's all we've got time for today. As Ollie would famously say on many of the previous podcasts, um, of course, there's no more time left because we decided to end it right now. So, sure. yeah, yeah, this has been another interesting week. Great to have a chat with Viv Anderson, um, ex footballer, ex manager, uh, assistant manager of mine when I was at Middlesbrough, very much part of it instrumental in the time when I actually signed for the club way back in the day. So, and as we mentioned in the podcast, first black player to play a full international for England and played for Manchester United was Sir Alex Ferguson's first ever signing at the club, which is pretty insane as well. Um, just goes to show you how old the guy is. Won two European Cups, which I was unaware of. I'm unaware of. No, I just didn't think about it because he played with Peter Shilton in that same side. And Peter Shilton used to tell me all the time how much, how many times he won the European Cup and, and told me that story about warming up in a roundabout before the, um, the second final. So that was a pleasure. Uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, lots of stories to be told. And very much looking forward to another action pack week of football. Cheers, Mark. Thanks, mate. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 